You're listening to the English Ministry Podcast of Chinese Christian Church Thousand Oaks. Join us every Sunday at 11 a.m. Find out more at english.cccto.org. Hello? Good morning. You guys can hear me now? Good. All right, because I have, I have a very low voice, so I, I, need, I need this. Thank you for the introduction, Peter. Uh, I think it's a mutual um, su- support for accountability partners. I think everyone probably should have a good, close Christian friend that you guys can confide in and, and pray for one another. It's uh, very beneficial. Um, more than, than, than yeah, at least on the spiritual side, pe- people that may not know the Lord. Um, I did have slides, but it's not working. So I'm going to go ahead and talk about uh, chapter 24 and 25. I think you all have that in your, um, in your bulletin. I, I really do want to focus on, on Paul's defense. So as, as we go along on, on the teaching, uh, I will be really focused on, on, on what he has to say. Uh, I do want <clears throat> to provide a background to today's sermon, uh, Paul before, Paul's trial before Felix and Festus. If you're familiar with, with those chapters um, and the previous chapters before that, to put it in context, uh, you know Paul was put into prison. Uh, he was, he's being charged by the, the Jewish people, uh, the, the religious leaders. Likelihood is that it's part of the Sanhedrin, which is the religious body of, of rulers. Not the great Sanhedrin. The great Sanhedrin is... Uh, a, a larger body, so you have like a two, two ca- camera, like a two, two-leveled religious political system, and the Sanhedrin was divided into five districts. Uh, Ananias is likely the high priest of one of the districts. The great, dis- the great Sanhedrin is the huge one, and and that is the big, the big high priest, if you will. So we're talking about when they are referring to the Sanhedrin here, it's probably a district Sanhedrin, not the great Sanhedrin, because at the time, uh, Gamaliel, uh, the elder, uh, there was five Gamaliels in the great Sanhedrin history. The one that taught Paul was called Gamaliel the elder. And so uh, when he's referring to Ananias, the high priest, he's, that's not Gamaliel. So he's probably a district Sanhedrin. Probably the most important date in Protestant history is October 31st, 1517. 
Does anyone know what happened October 31st, 1517? Any historians out here? That's the day Martin Luther posted his 95 Theses on Castle Church in Wittenberg. It's still commemorated every year among the older Reformed denominations. Uh, the Sunday before October 31st, or Reformation Day, uh, is called Reformation Sunday. I'm not sure if, you, if this church does a Reformation Sunday. Um, and normally on, on Reformation Sunday, pastors customarily preach on the history of the Reformation or on the doctrine of, of, of justification by faith. So we're talking about Reformed churches, Presbyterian churches, those kind of, kind of churches that date their denomination back to the original Protestant Reformation. And most of you know that the Roman Catholic Church condemned Martin Luther to death for heresy. Back in those days, uh, you could die for having the wrong religious Christian view. Um, I'm not sure if, if you all realize that or, or know that. Some of the young people may or may not know. His life was spared only because the Prince of Saxony protected him. And um, I'm not sure if they're still um, showing uh, an exhibit at the Los Angeles County Museum of Art, but they have a portrait of the Prince of Saxony right now in, in, in the Los Angeles County Museum of Art. And some of his, his armor and things like that, a uh, painting of his, of his castle. Um, so he's the one that protected uh, Martin Luther from being burned at the stake from the Catholic Church. And we have history to, to show that this is true. Um, as to segue on a large scale, um, perse persecution followed uh, this edict, if you will, or this condemnation by the Pope and, and the Charles the, V, I believe, who uh, was the Holy... Roman Emperor at the time of Luther. Uh, things like the St. Bartholomew Day's Massacre. That's a really key period because a bunch of Christians were, were, were massacred on the Louvre. Um, that's where the, the Museum of Paris is, uh, the Louvre. On, on, if, if you've seen pictures or been there on, on, the, on the courtyard, thousands of, of, of French Protestants were killed on, on that ground where we go if, if, we, if we ever get a chance to travel and, and enter the, the Paris Museum to see the Mona Lisa. And those were called French Huguenots, Huguenots. Christians were killed all over France. Uh, they were being killed in, in Italy and Spain and everywhere following this, this separation that began with Martin Luther. Christianity, as we know it today, Protestantism, like this church is, was criminalized by the Catholic Church. And many fled to different places, including 
the United States of America. Today, um, uh, Christians are persecuted all over the world. I know we know this because this church supports a lot of the, the, the Chinese churches, uh, the underground church, uh, and, and I know you pray for them. And uh, that It's criminalized there, uh, criminalized because it, it might not be an official uh, state-recognized, licensed, or what have you, church. So it's illegal, right? Um, it's, it, it's not sanctioned by the state. Or it's not approved by the state. It's not registered by the state. And that's happening in China. Uh, North Korea, 70,000 Christians are in prison. not sure if you're familiar with that. Um, Iran systematically cr- cr- criminalizes Christians for their faith. In Muslim countries, Christians are imprisoned or killed, a lot of times by the local elders, like a fiat, if you will, a council of elders, and they, they determine that someone should die because they're Christian or they're, they're accused of, of something. That, that, that might not be true. It might, they might say he blasphemed against Muhammad, and, and, and that's enough to, to kill a Christian in a Muslim-majority country. Um, or sometimes mob rule uh, by zealots, by people that are, are zealous for, for the Muslim faith. Um, these are examples of, of modern states criminalizing Christianity. And isn't it interesting that, that, have, uh, that there's a parallel? Maybe you are kind of following along where I'm going. Uh, uh, this is what happened to Paul. Paul was probably uh, one of the first... Uh, Christians that was that was uh, charged with the crime of being a Christian, um, and um, not only he, he got the the worst of everything because they put him in prison, and a mob a mob tried to kill him. So you know it's it's not new, unfortunately, for for Christians in other parts of the world where where freedom of religion does not exist to be criminalized, to be killed, to be. Um, uh, just beat up, if you will, if if they're not by by uh, by people that don't don't like their faith. And I think it's real. It's real for us. I think in this church, particularly, because um, you know, we're very conscious of what's happening to Christians in China. It's real in Africa too. So um, for us, um, these are things that. Um, Shouldn't be a surprise when, when we are reading these chapters in the book of Acts and read that there's a mob that comes and starts dragging Paul or another disciple or they stick them in a prison uh, because of their faith. Because it's happening today. It's happening right now all over the world. And, and even in our country, we, we are faced at least for, uh, by some type of censure or censor, or some kind of um, uh, erosion of our influence in the public sphere. Um, so, as I as I talk about Paul, uh, Paul is probably the, one of the most famous prisoners of his faith in in, in Christian history. Uh, Martin Luther is probably second. Um, 
you could probably, maybe some of you all know some Christian history trivia. Mike could come up with some other ones. And for Paul, um, as I was studying this, this is really kind of like a history lesson. It's, it's, it's very difficult to spiritualize the book of Acts. You can't really get away with that. I mean, um, so um, maybe the other epistles you can, but this, it's uh, very challenging to, to spiritualize something that is based on, on facts, uh, like uh, the book of Acts' accounts are. And having reading some background on, on Paul and historians of the first century, it's, it's really... It's really interesting because people try to explain away the reason why Paul was put into prison. Um, and, and some of them are valid, I would say. Uh, I mean, there's probably multiple reasons why they put him in prison. But let me give you some examples of, of what some of the, the, the secular historians um, say that Paul was put into prison and why Christians were persecuted in the first century. Um, some of them are saying that, um, said that um, it was because Christianity was a private religion, uh, and it led to uh, the, the state, uh, the Roman officials, local officials, from, from, uh, to, to sus- be suspicious of their, of their ceremonies. So um, try to imagine that, that Christianity uh, was was thought to be a private religion, and, and that was kind of a no, no-no. It's like uh, the, the Roman civic religion was very public. It was very ceremonial. Um, probably had parades and things like that. Um, a lot of burn, burning of incense, and um, probably familiar with that and with the Eastern religions. And, and Christianity didn't do any of those kinds of stuff. They did it sort of in a home or something like that. So presumably, that made people suspicious of, of the Christian faith. Others uh, have said that, that the reason why um, Christianity in the first century, now this is the time of Paul's, that Paul was living, uh, was because it wasn't a, a recognized, it wasn't a, a, a historical religion. So some of the older religions were given um, a protection, if you will, a recognition. There were like the Druids, the Jewish faith was considered a, a historical religion. And, and so they were given what's called civic privileges uh, among the minority religions. Uh, but all of the religions, all of the citizens of, of Rome, everyone under their their hegemony, if you will, were required to to burn incense to to the Roman, the Greco-Roman gods in public, and they were required to uh, swear or or say some type of allegiance to to the Roman emperor. And I think that's kind of where where Christianity began to have problems because. Uh, you know, you had to say Caesar is Lord, and and Christians were weren't willing to say that in public. Uh, they would say Jesus is Lord, or they would 
say, well, our allegiance is only to Christ, kind of like the American revolutionaries when they say we have no, God, no king but Christ. Uh, those, were, uh, those were words of dissidence, uh, rebellious things. But I, I don't think that's the reason why. I, I ultimately don't think that fundamentally this is why the Romans ultimately began persecuting the Christians in the late first century all the way up to Constantine in the, in the 300 BC era. I, I think that those could be some of the reasons. I think the reason is because of what Paul said. <clears throat> Paul, Paul said at the end of uh, chapter 24, or, or in chapter 24 at the end of his defense, that um, um, starting with He says that other than this one thing that I cried out while standing among them, it is with respect to the resurrection of the dead that I am on trial before you this day. And, and I, think, I think a lot of the historians miss that. I think a lot of the historians can't factor that in. They don't understand the importance of, of, of the central message of Paul's, of Paul's preaching, of his ministry, his missionary journeys, they want to find other reasons other than that in history today. Um, I, I honestly think that this is part of the work of the enemy and, and the same people that are um, hostile towards the gospel of Christ and it's not an ethnicity, it's not some uh, religious differences that it's a spiritual opposition to hearing the gospel. And Paul was not, not going to compromise. His message was clear. He always referred to the resurrection and uh, Jesus Christ as the only way of salvation. He, he mentions that in uh, 1 Corinthians 2.22, that um, I determined to know nothing except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, he talks about um, his, uh, uh, what is the gospel, you know, and it's Jesus Christ was, was born of the virgin, he's deity, he died, he rose again, and he was seen by the disciples and witnesses. Who was he? Jesus Christ was God. He was, Christ, he was God manifested in the flesh. And he came to, to uh, live under the law on our behalf and to give his life on behalf of us, like the sacrificial lamb in the Old Testament, for our sins so that we don't have to spend eternity in hell uh, for our own sins, that God vicariously suffered the sins of, of all the people that would put their faith in him. And, and, and that message is so simple on the one hand, uh, fantastic to those that don't believe, a myth, one of many myths in the first century. But Paul says it is the power of God to those that are being saved. It's a, it's, it's a scent of life. It's the power unto salvation. Why? Because something happens to those that put their faith in Jesus Christ for their eternal life. 
it transforms them. It makes them a new person. Uh, there are new creatures in Christ. We, ha- we adopt a new nature. We can fight and resist sin. We're no longer under the bondage of our own habits, our own uh, uh, sinful ways. That We have a recourse. We have the power of God himself dwelling in us, enabling us to live a holy and righteous life. And that's impossible for some people to conceive, to understand, or to accept. And I think that included the Jewish people, uh, the Jewish rulers. It was the exact opposite of what they were teaching. Uh, They were preaching the law. They were preaching being good under certain circumstances, following certain rituals, following certain customs. And it did not fit what the rulers of Jerusalem, or that, at least the religious, region, the religious religious rulers of that region, would want to accept. And this very message is, that was trying to be drowned out by, by the, the Jews, the, the people at the time that had a vested interest in having uh, uh, religious or political control in that area, Uh, wanted to drown that out. Uh, They had a vested interest. They didn't want to hear that. They didn't want to be confronted by by their sins. They didn't want to be faced with the reality that no matter what you do, you can be king. You can be a ruler of your people, a religious leader. Uh, You can be governor of a region under the great great government of that time. It's not going to get you... Uh, into heaven. It will not bring you any closer to, to righteousness and holiness that Christ requires of us. The same message is being drowned today. Um, people don't want to hear that. We have historians trying to drown the message. They're trying to make it something other than what it is. Why? Because, because that is the work of the enemy. That is the work of Satan. It's the work of the world. Anything that could keep us from clearly presenting the gospel message, and that is what the world wants us to know. If it's intellectualizing God, if it's making it a conversation about who, who God is and why he exists and, you know, where did we come from, all that is good, maybe in a classroom, but it never brings us closer to God. Uh, have you noticed... Uh, out there in the world that if you talk about God, it's not offensive to, to most people, 95% of the time, right? Because God can be anything to anybody in their mind. It doesn't, it doesn't, there's no definition, there's no requirement in the, in the public conversations or wherever we're at, at school or at work or, or socializing with friends. It, it's not offensive to just have a conversation about God because everybody has their own opinion about who God is. But as soon as we talk about Jesus Christ, as soon as we begin to talk about our, the necessity of, of, of accepting uh, somebody else's sacrifice for sin other than our own, that we're not good enough to go to heaven on our own account, that's a, that offends people. It offends the very nature of who they are and what what their own legacy, their own who, uh, self-importance. And 
I have friends and co-workers, and I know you all do, you know people that insist that their way of life, the way they're living apart from Christ, is enough. It's enough to be accepted by God. I'm good enough for God as I am. And, and that is our struggle today, as it was for Paul in the first century. For Paul, they wanted to censor him. You can do whatever you want, but just don't preach in the name of Jesus. You can burn. You can do your your ceremony as a Jew, right? Because you, uh, Christianity and Judaism was very, very um, intertwined at the time. Um, as long as Jesus Christ was not uh, a part of those practices, right? Aren't we faced with the same thing today? We, we can have our own opinion about everything, about anything. But as soon as we begin to, to take positions that are at variance with the public opinion, our, our society where it's going uh, morally and against God and, and the clear teachings of Scripture, that's when we find conflict. That's when we have trouble. And I think what we could get from, from Paul here is, is, is the encouragement to continue um, um, in those opportunities in a loving way, I, I'm saying, to present the gospel, to assert the message of the gospel, to clarify what the Christian gospel is about. And I know it's hard. It's becoming very difficult for us now. To, to say anything that is at, at variance with, with, with the public because uh, and, and um, we can put ourselves in danger. Uh, we, I mean, it, it, it is becoming, it's getting to that point where we, where we could be losing our jobs or benefits or something. But, but I think the story of Paul uh, tells us that um, our goal is to continue to um, be true to our faith, to be true to the message of the gospel. And that's the central point, I think, about uh, chapter 24 and 25, at least what Paul wanted to clarify to, to both Felix and um, to Festus, which is that I'm here because I'm, uh, I'm appealing to the... I'm talking about the resurrection of the dead. That's what I'm on trial for. What, what does that mean? He's talking about that Jesus Christ rose from the dead and that he's the, he fulfilled the prophecies of the Old Testament, that Jesus is, is both God and man and um, the, the Lamb of God. Um, that's... It's, it's, probably was not fantastic to the Jews the Jew, because they were aware of those scriptures, but they obviously did not accept that message. And um, I, I see the hand of God as well. Uh, one of the, the fancy words that we use in seminary is uh, the sovereignty of God. We talk about that a lot. And God being in control ultimately, of everything. God, is, God is inf has infinite knowledge. He's omniscient, right? So he, he, does that. he does know everything, and he's in control of all things. 
So the purpose, I think, I, I see the hand of God in, even in this, and I know that in the previous chapter, um, God spoke to, to Paul, telling him that he, he was going to go to Rome. So in spite of the, the turmoil, the, the struggle, the personal setbacks, he, he probably was, was beaten many times in prison, the disparity of being locked up in, in jail, uh, in a prison cell that was probably one of the far worse than the conditions of a, at least a modern prison here. Um, maybe uh, in other parts of the world, it was probably it's probably just as bad to be in a prison like Paul was. Um, in spite of all those things, God had a purpose for him, and and I see this thread where where every person that he comes across, he has an opportunity to talk about Jesus, to talk about the message of the gospel, or the need to repent of our sins and, and, and accept Christ as our personal Savior. So that, it's a beautiful thread that in spite of all those, those struggles, the, the adversity that he faces, he, he did fulfill God's purpose that was revealed to him and is found in chapter 23, I believe, that he's going to preach the gospel all the way up to Rome. And, and that's, it, it, it should encourage us as well, because not all the time that we, we open our mouth and say, say what we believe about Christ turns out to be a good experience. Uh, I, I, for one, <laughs> have had a, always a great time and experience People are hostile. It's a spiritual thing. Don't, don't take it personally if someone gets, gets really strong towards you. Uh, because even Paul in the book of Romans says that, that, the God, the, that without Christ, people are, are at enmity. Enmity is kind of an older word meaning like actively against the things of God. So, and that people, even their thoughts are, are against God. The, the people that we love and care that don't know Christ, given the opportunity, are only going to do two things. They're either going to receive it or they're going to reject it. And, and if they're not ready to reject it, uh, the one or two or three times that you keep mentioning Christianity. You keep mentioning the thing, you know, the things about God, or inviting them to go to your church. Um, they're going to resist because they don't have the nature of God in their hearts. We have the new nature. We have the Holy Spirit in us. Our the Holy Spirit should be able to tell us and reveal to us what what is true, what is not true, uh, but. Our unbelieving friends and co-workers, they don't know that. So expect that. Um, so, so far, we, it won't be as, as uh, aggressive and hostile as, as Paul experienced. But people, by nature, because of original sin, will not, will not accept those things as well. So I encourage you to continue to being true to uh, the message of the gospel uh, I think it's the next slide. I think we're concluding. Um, and um, 
it's really, I, th I think our instinct is to compromise some measure of the gospel truth. I, I understand that. It's, it's, we want to be agreeable. We want to be accepted by our peers. But that, that is, that's not really what the end of, of, of life is supposed to be. That's, that's not the end game when it comes to us as believers, as Christians. The end game is, is to be able to, to stand before God with a good conscience and to be able to say to ourselves and, and for God to acknowledge that we have, we have ran, run the race, we have uh, shared the gospel in the opportunities that we've had in an uncompromising way. I think that is more important than the concept of you know, happiness is our ultimate goal. That, that's not really uh, a biblical uh, <laughs> philosophy. <clears throat> and, and also, just to kind of go over the idea of uh, um, how, how, do we, how do we strategize our approach to the gospel? Now, we're not in an in a era of, of like, open public debate like Socrates and Plato and Aristotle and maybe other times before where you, you, you agree to disagree kind of thing. It, we're, we're kind of moving into more of like everyone needs to agree on, on, on whatever the, the, the political or moral opinions of society is now. So how do, how do, how do, we, how do we shift gears from more of like a, a frontal assault to more of like a strategic approach? approach, where we, where we still do not compromise the message of the gospel when we have those opportunities in, in our, our areas of influence, home, school, work, neighborhood, personal friends, and, and how, how do we do that? That's, a, that's kind of a challenge that I, I want to throw out there. There's, there's, there's ways that we could do it without it being so, you know, dramatic, you know, a dramatic, you know, conflict, right? And, and how, how do we increase that in a loving way? We have to do that actively, I think, when we're sharing the gospel, when we're presenting the gospel to people. Um, obviously, Paul was very zealous for sharing the gospel. I mean, it was everything for him. And um, I hope that uh, we can love sharing the gospel, too. Um, so uh, that is uh, my, my encouragement to you all, and uh, thank you for having me share this uh, message of Paul going to prison. Thank you, Lord, for this opportunity. Thank you for the lessons that we have learned about Paul and uh, how he uh, can consistently share the gospel, Lord, in spite of his life, a threat to his life, the conditions of his life. I pray that we can can learn how to how to do that in our own culture and society that we live today, uh, having taking comfort that that many of our our brothers and sisters in the Lord before us and around the world are have 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 taken that stance, have suffered and died for the name of Jesus, and that here in our 
this free country uh, where we have rights. Uh, we can still do that, Lord. Uh, help us to find those opportunities, uh, to have the courage to do it, and to do it in a loving way. Pray all this in Jesus' name.